Hello, and welcome to the Chest Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Gretchen Winter. On behalf of CHESS, I would like to welcome you to this CHESS Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Gretchen Winter, your CHESS podcast moderator. Thank you all for joining us today for the fourth part of a series of podcasts with Dr. James Stoller, where we're discussing leadership development in line with his series of articles published in CHESS. Today, we will be discussing his article, Building Teams in Healthcare. Dr. Stoller is a pulmonary and critical care physician and the chairman of the Education Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. He holds the Jean Wall Bennett Professorship of Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine and the Samson Global Leadership Academy Endowed Chair. His pulmonary research interests regard alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, and he has served on the board of directors of the Alpha-1 Foundation. His interest in leadership and leadership development stems from his pursuit of a master's in organizational development, and he serves as an adjunct professor of organizational behavior at the Weatherhead School of Management of Case Western Reserve University and honorary visiting professor at the Bayes School of Business in City University, London. He directed the American Thoracic Society's Emerging Leaders Program and directs CHESS Leadership Development Course. His recent book, Better Humans, Better Performance, regards achieving high organizational performance through creating cultures anchored in the seven classical virtues. So thank you so much for coming today, Dr. Stoller. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Winter. I'm delighted to be here. So to dive in, this series of articles you wrote is all about leadership skills, and there are so many different important leadership topics. So why did you decide to focus on building teams? Why is it so important in healthcare leadership? Well, thanks for the question. I think all of us appreciate that medicine is a team sport, that, um, for example, the ICU is a perfect example, that we depend on fabulous collaboration among Many uh, disciplines, uh, our nursing colleagues, our respiratory therapy colleagues, our pharmacy colleagues, our dietitian colleagues, uh, in addition to uh, those of us as intensivists. And so um, medicine in general is a team sport, and therefore focusing on how to create high-performing teams seems very much in range for a discussion of leadership. So I guess before we delve deeper into this topic, we should start by discussing what is teamwork? Like, what do you mean when you refer to team? Well, that's a great question. And uh, here I like the work of, of Katzenbach and Smith. They've written a book uh, called The Wisdom of Teams. And Katzenbach and Smith, I think, uh, define a team as a, a small number of people who have complementary skills, who are committed to a common purpose common performance goals, and a common approach for which they hold themselves mutually accountable. So there are four key elements there, small number, complementary skills, common purpose, and mutual accountability. And the small number is always an interesting question. Uh, I love Jeff Bezos's quote here, that teams shouldn't be any bigger than uh, can consume two pizzas. Uh, so that, you know, for normal humans is, is three to eight people, perhaps, uh, certainly less than 20 people 
based on other data, suggests is an ideal team size. When we get into the many dozens or hundreds, uh, it's very difficult to, to regard that as a team because voice is diluted. So small number, complementary skills, common purpose, mutual accountability. Love that. I actually use the two pizzas definition myself and come to think that I probably learned that from you years ago. <laughs> so in your article, you share an overview of how you approach team building when you're coming on to a new inpatient service, which is actually something that I myself experienced with you years ago. Say, so can you please discuss what it is that you do and what you hope to accomplish by doing those things? Oh, well, thanks for asking. Um, I hope you remember this fondly. Uh, so, you know, the usual approach in picking up uh, as an attending, picking up a service would be that you'd show up on the ward and the trainees, the fellows, residents, medical students would be ready to round. And um, I characteristically don't do that. Uh, as you may remember, uh, we have a Starbucks within uh, within uh, the Cleveland Clinic Hospital. I would invite everyone to come and sit around a table in Starbucks. I buy the coffee or tea or uh, refreshments. And uh, we we engage in a process that has commonly been called chartering. What do I mean by that? That means uh, eliciting everyone's voice in, in an appreciative way. So I would characteristically go around the table and ask every person there, the fellow, the resident, the medical student, et cetera, if this rotation were fabulous beyond your wildest dreams, an appreciative question, what would happen? What would you learn? How would we conduct our, our, our work together? And I go person to person and that gives everyone voice. In the end, high performance comes from three things, belonging, mattering, and making a difference. And so the question about chartering is really an opportunity for everyone to weigh in on how they want to matter, how they belong, and how they make a difference. And of course, uh, I then reserve the right to say the same thing. If this, if this experience were fabulous beyond our wild, my wildest dreams, what would we do? And it always begins with taking fabulous care of our patients, but then it turns to things like efficiency so that we have time to teach. Um, I double down on my commitment to teach. I am the chairman of the Education Institute, and so teaching is very important to me, uh, as, as you can imagine. Um, and so we charter. And so that's how, that's how I do it. Um, and that's been a fairly consistent pattern, uh, since, uh, since, since well before you, you joined us as a trainee at the Cleveland Clinic, Dr. Winter. So now that we've discussed how you like to build an effective team, what are the attributes of an effective team? Well, again, a great question. Here, too, I, uh, I use the work of, uh, of Glenn Parker, uh, somewhat informed by Katzenbach and Smith. And I think there's about 12 features. First of all, teams have clear purpose. They, they know what, what they're about. They know what success looks like. Secondly, they're, they're informal. That is to say, members are, are comfortable. They're relaxed with each other. Uh, there is, is what uh, Amy Edmondson at Harvard Business School would call psychologic safety. Uh, they participate third, uh, so the members are engaged. There's free discussion and dialogue. Number four, they listen to one another. Uh, and I mean active listening, uh, sort of the way that we conduct a, a history when a patient tells us they've been getting progressively dyspneic over three months on climbing stairs. At some point, all of us in the interview would turn back to the patient and say, so, Mr. Smith, I understand you to say you've been getting progressively shorter breath with climbing stairs over the last three months. So the idea of paraphrasing or using um, 
feedback, closed loop feedback uh, as evidence of listening. Teams have civilized disagreement, again, getting back to psychological safety. They make decisions through consensus. Uh, I've often said that if you have a two pizza team uh, with eight people, that voting is really not an appropriate way of resolving conflict or disagreement. Uh, we vote as a democracy because we can't get 330 million people in a room to discuss the issues. But I think in small teams, one should really discuss uh, and get to a place where everyone on the team can live with the decision, even though it may not be the majority decision. Teams have open communication. They have clear roles, goals, and responsibilities. I know what I'm supposed to be doing as a team member. I know what you're supposed to be doing. I know if our schedules conflict that we've worked that out. Uh, they have shared leadership. So there may be a part of the team that I'm leading as the designated chairperson, but there may be parts of our work where your expertise as a member of the team is far greater than mine. And so I should defer to you for those, uh, for those aspects of our work together. Lastly, teams are attend to outside relationships. They know they have deadlines. They have smart goals, specific, measurable, actionable, reasonable, and time-bound. Uh, they have complementarity of, 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 uh, of skills and style diversity. And when I say diversity, I mean diversity through every lens uh, uh, imaginable, uh, including, including diversity to be representative of the group affected by the team's work. And finally, uh, teams are self-assessing. They take time out to ask themselves, how are we doing? They, they go to the balcony, if you will, and look at their own actions in terms of uh, how are we performing and can we do things to be better? So those 12 characteristics, I think, um, define what we might regard to be a successful, high-performing team. I'll stop there. Excellent. So we've discussed some of the things that make a team effective, but what are some of the common team dysfunctions that you see? Well, again, a great question. As you might imagine, the, the, the five dysfunctions of a team, this is the work of, of Lancioni, Lencioni and colleagues. Uh, the five dysfunctions look like the absence of, the, of some of the attributes. And specifically, Lencioni refers to the absence of trust, that when there's no trust in the room, it's very hard to move forward. Um, a retired general um, pointed out that teams move at the speed of trust. And so absent trust, things are very, very slow and cumbersome. Secondly, um, teams dysfunction when they fear conflict, when, when they don't enjoy psychological safety. Uh, third, um, teams falter when they lack commitment. Uh, people need to be engaged. Again, this comes down to the value of chartering and getting your voice in the conversation on the front end. Um, Fourth, uh, teams falter or flounder when they lack accountability. Uh, and, and lastly, teams flounder when they, they don't attend to results, when they're not performance or result oriented. They have specific deliverables that are clarified at the front end. Everyone has clear roles, goals, and responsibilities to affect those. And, uh, when that, when that's not present, teams can flounder. So those five dysfunctions generally, uh, regard a reasonable differential diagnosis of of, of team dysfunction. And in your article, you discuss eight practices to enhance team performance. Can you discuss those for our listeners, please? Sure. Uh, again, no surprise in the terms of our conversation. And this, again, comes from Katzenbach and Smith. 
And I'll remind you as I as I recite these eight practices that they look a lot like the aspect that we've talked about in previous podcasts of change management and effective leadership. The first uh, practice is creating a sense of urgency and direction. Why are we meeting as a team? What are we trying to accomplish and uh, accomplish? And what's the timeline by which we need to do so? Then um, again, much like the change initiatives where you create a guiding coalition, the second is to select a team based on complementarity of skills uh, and again, representativeness of the, of the group affected by the team's work. The third, which overlaps with several other of the steps in, in Katzenbach and Smith's uh, taxonomy is to pay attention to the first meeting uh, of the team. And instead of just diving into the work, pay attention to chartering, uh, much like I described in picking up, picking up a service. Picking up a service is like establishing a team for your work together over the following week or two or three, depending on how long your service is. And so paying attention to that first meeting to charter, to establish a culture about uh, how we're meeting, uh, how we show up. Um, certain rules like confidentiality, the meeting occurs in the room, uh, and and so on. The fifth, actually, uh, Katzenbach and Smith called chartering, which is what we've been discussing. So some of these are a bit redundant. The sixth would be challenging the team with 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 cogent facts and information. So creating the landscape by which everyone understands what the challenge is and what success looks like. The seventh. Um, at Katzenbach and Smith remind us is about spending lots of time together. And, you know, time is our, is our challenge and our premium for all of us. I think one has to be judicious with time, but recognize too that teams do need to mature and spend time together in order to develop what others might call relational coordination. This is a work of Jody Gattel. The idea that teams perform better when they leverage their relationships with one another in service of our collective work. In other words, knowing who your team team members are, knowing, you know, where they're from, something about what's important to them, perhaps their family, rather than just rank, rank and name, rank and serial number, if you will. And then lastly, again, coming out of our conversations about effective leadership, publicly rewarding and recognizing the contributions of team members. So those eight, eight practices, uh, again, from Katzenbach and Smith, really remind us about how you create an effective team. Looks a lot like effective leadership, as I said. I'll stop there. So what is the evidence that teamwork actually matters in specifically delivering healthcare? So there's a lot of evidence. And while the level of evidence may not rise to what we normally expect in pulmonary critical care or medicine in general, i.e. randomized controlled trials, multiple concordant randomized trials, there is nonetheless a significant body of observational literature. And the benefits have been shown in a variety of settings. And rather than discuss each paper in, in detail, I'll simply cover the, the outcomes at a, at a high level. When, For example, when teams in emergency room care are trained in teamwork, specifically using a curriculum called Team Steps, which trains people uh, on the principles of high-performing teams, much like pilots do in the cockpit for crew resource management. When teams in the emergency room are trained, 
compared to teams that are untrained and objective observers watch their work and record errors, that teams that have been trained have lower error rates in the emergency room. That when we think about diagnostic accuracy, whether it's in diagnosing rounded atelectasis, interstitial lung disease, we know this through our multidisciplinary teams now in ILD and, and tumor boards, that when you put multiple minds together in a room uh, of, of diverse sort of mindset, you get better answers. Uh, when you get when you, when you put a lung pathologist and a radiologist and a pulmonologist together, you get more precise definition and diagnosis of of ILD than if any of those individuals works by themselves. This is work of Brown and colleagues. We publish similar work with regard to precision and diagnosing rounded atelectasis um, in the ICU. Uh, that when teams perform better, uh, the cost of care and the mortality rates observationally are lower. Uh, in the operating room, when teams are trained in teamwork, surgical mortality rates are lower. This is a paper by Neely and colleagues in JAMA a few years ago. And there's a dose response curve. That is to say, the more team training, the lower the surgical mortality rates. So lots of observational data, all of which are concordant in showing that teamwork matters in producing the outcomes to which we all aspire, which is our patients doing well. And there's, of course, more evidence than just this, but but all of this evidence is concordant uh, in showing the benefits of teamwork. I'll stop there. So what are the next steps for research in healthcare leadership and team building? Well, it's a great question. Uh, you know, I've cited a few examples across the waterfront of medical practice, but, you know, we always need more evidence. Uh, and, you know, I think one has to think carefully about it as to whether one could have equipoise in doing a randomized controlled trial of, of effective teamwork. But, but if we could navigate that issue, I think it would be fabulous. If we could, in fact, uh, have the standard of evidence in, in supporting teamwork to be comparable to that of what we do in other interventions in pulmonary critical care or in medicine in general, would be taking the level of evidence to the next, to the next level. And so I think there are always opportunities, whether observationally or through even more precisely designed interventions to demonstrate the value of teamwork. So if any of our listeners are intrigued by this and want to further develop their team building skills, do you have any specific books or references that you would recommend? Well, thanks for the question, uh, Dr. Winter. I've, I've cited a few. Uh, I like the work of Katzenbach and Smith, who've written a book called The Wisdom of Teams. Uh, I've mentioned the work of Patrick Lencioni and colleagues. Uh, uh, they've written a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And then, of course, uh, I love the work of, of Amy Edmondson, who's, uh, again, at Harvard Business School. She's written many things, but one of her recent books called The Fearless Organization, cites the importance of psychologic safety and driving effective performance and effective teamwork. So those are three foundational readings. There are, of course, many others. We discuss this even in the in our own books, uh, as you mentioned earlier, about the importance of virtues and driving high performance in teams as well as organizations. So um, lots out there. Uh, those are my favorite. Great. So as we finish up this podcast, can you give our listeners a closing thought on what you want them to take away from this discussion on team building? Well, thanks for the opportunity to summarize. I think it's two things, really. One is recognizing, as I think we all do, 
that teams matter, and two, recognizing that there are practices that one can can implement that are likely to make the team more effective, like chartering in the example that I provided and some of those eight best practices, being mindful of the first meeting, creating the appropriate culture, having people's voice in the conversation, clarity of roles, goals, and responsibilities, that by crafting a team effectively, one can get higher performance in the team than uh, a more random assembly of people, if that makes sense. So I'll, I'll stop there. Wonderful. Well, a big thank you to Dr. Stoller for sharing his time and his expertise again with us today. And a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Gretchen Winter, and this is a chess podcast. Until next time.